From Neon Hum Media, this is Dirt Cheap. I'm Jeffrey Golden. And I'm Amanda Meadows. And we're reading Murder in the Glass Room by Edwin Rolfe and Lester Fuller. And it's not just us today. That's right. We have very special guests. These are two uh, good buds uh, who are extremely funny and have some, I'm sure, wild takes to share when we get into this. (laughs) (laughs) So please enjoy our amazing guests, Ifeen Wadaway and Danny Fernandez, both comedians and just general internet professionals. (laughs) Just professionals at the internet. People who know how to make you laugh. The most reliable feeds on Instagram and Twitter, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, well, welcome, Ify and Danny, to Dirt Cheap. How's how's it going? So let me uh, me help bring you guys up to speed on where we are in this book. We're going to be reading uh, half of chapter 11 of Murder in the Classroom. So Phil Norris is a bookie, not a detective. And in fact, he says very plainly, uh, he is bad at solving crimes. Yeah. And the, the book definitely proves that. His almost ex-wife has been murdered. And now he is the number one suspect in his wife's murder, but we know he didn't do it. And so he's trying to figure out who killed her. And uh, there are... About two suspects, I would say. Uh, yeah, Professor Stanley and uh, his, like, rail-thin lackey, Tommy. That's right. They both have alibis, however. So uh, this has sort of thrown us for a loop. However, he is uh, dating a newspaper reporter all of a sudden named Shelley. And Shelley described a woman at Edna's funeral who seemed suspicious. And so uh, Phil reluctantly is on the trail of this woman uh, who they know she is a dancer at, at this dance club. And so that's, uh, that brings us to where we are. Okay. How many chapters are in this? Well, it's, I believe, 17 chapters, but they're <gasps> unevenly oh. spaced. So the first, yeah. in the, early in the book, like chapters are like four pages. Like and you're like you read it and you're like oh I'm a I'm brilliant I read this a whole chapter in a book very fast and then as the book goes on the chapters get longer and longer so we're close we're close we're closing in we're halfway through this book Phil has not become a good detective no he hasn't learned anything he hasn't learned anything about uh, this mystery or life or about himself about even. himself yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, horrible. He's yeah. a horrible so protagonist. Yeah, so you've come in at the perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 11. It was early when the bus pulled into the terminal at Venice. Although I still had a sour taste in my mouth, the long ride had calmed me down enough to make me realize that I hadn't eaten since morning. It was too dangerous to go into a restaurant, so I walked quickly towards the pier, where I knew there would be some hamburger stands open. Wait, why, sorry, why was it too dangerous to go into a restaurant? Oh, because uh, he is wanted for the murder of his wife, Edna. And and it's, uh, it is on newspapers everywhere. Yes, his face was run in the newspaper, right? For the first quarter of the book or so, he was 
he was okay. Nobody was talking about it. And now everybody's talking about it. He's in like a Grand Theft Auto situation where the police are are after him. You know, he's front page news. Yeah, I think uh, in the last, uh, recently he had just escaped a bunch of cops uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He decided that a discreet place to meet Shelley would be the Hollywood Bowl. It's a real good call. call. Because the world is Phil Norris's stage. And uh, instead, the police uh, flooded the Hollywood Bowl and they shot at him. And he's very (gasps) lucky to have escaped. Uh, He Mm. probably should have been caught then and there. But uh, he persists. Nevertheless. (laughs) Nevertheless. He he persisted. (laughs) Venice always depressed me. Its shabby streets could match the workers' section of any American mining town and still have enough squalor left over to furnish all the sharecropper huts in Arkansas. Paper-thin, rotting houses gave each other the elbow, as if they were jungle fighting to get a proper share of the wet sea air. Rubbish was piled high, like snowdrifts, against the walls. Oh my God! This is Ven. He's talking about Venice Beach. How dare you? Also, my half my family comes from fucking shacks in Arkansas, so I'm like, I took specific umbrage with that. (laughs) That was was the thing that stood out to you. With me, it's I was just like, how dare you? Like, bro is 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 a bookie. Like, you're not like a fancy man, you know. Like, relax on the narration and know know your worth before you start, you know, tossing out accusations. (laughs) Yeah, Phil. Phil loves to talk about how rich or poor someone or something is. It's, yes, he's how very it much looks obsessed anyway. with how it looks. Yeah, by describing the scenario. So that that is, uh, yeah, you're right. He he uh, he shouldn't look down his nose, but he does. Yeah. But it's fascinating to think that this this is 1945, and like this is a description of uh, of Venice Beach. It sure is. Different today, I would say. I <laughs> a little bit different. You know, I, 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 you know the the snow rubbish. I think still is uh, <laughs> still still present. It's true, oh, but yeah, I, it, the banks of snow still exist. But now it's just coke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silicon snow. Beach nonsense. <laughs> coke snow and and like piles of bootleg T-shirts. <laughs> Like old, like old, yeah. like Bart Simpson surfer T-shirts. It's like to, yeah, yeah. There to was a, a surf man. There was a Jamaican Bart Simpson with dread staring at me from a corner, <laughs> warning me not to have a cow. Lights were going on all over the pier, in the bingo and penny roulette concessions, the target bowling games, and the airplane rides. I picked a hot dog stand where there were no other customers and ordered three hamburgers. I didn't order more because I didn't want to be remembered, and three seemed like a commonplace request. Three hamburgers. Three hamburgers. No, that's that's not unless you're that one dude from Popeye. I think you're not allowed to eat three hamburgers in one sitting. <laughs> yeah. Also, I love that he immediately was like, "I went to the hot dog stand. I got hamburgers." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's so contrarian. <laughs> I carried them in a paper bag to the beach and sat in the shadow of the pier-supporting pilings. Far off down the beach, a party of kids had built a bonfire against the clammy cold. And from time to time, their voices carried clear to where I hid. 
They were discussing politics. Yeah, one of them shouted. It's an illusion. Peace is an illusion between wars. Huh. I would say uh, the modern uh, interpretation is uh, peace is an illusion during wars. Anyway, that was my <laughs> little bit of political commentary. Oh, for that the was episode. real spicy. Thank you. <laughs> I just love that the author really thought he was doing something there. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love when he wrote that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this this is an author gonna, who always gonna, thinks yeah. that he's dropping bars. That's that's an author. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, I'm gonna hit, I can't wait to hit him with this one. I can't wait to hit him with this one. <laughs> I could 100% though see someone in Venice getting this tattooed on them. <laughs> like just like pieces and illusion between wars, just like on their forearm. Pretty great tattoo. Listen, folks at home, if you want to get that tattoo, <laughs> post it. Post the tag. Uh, dirt Cheap Pod. We want to see that tattoo. Get a Dirt Cheap tattoo is what oh, I'm saying. I mean, how, how funny would that be? I'm looking forward to it. Someone to- got a iffy. Somebody got a tattoo of our show, yeah. and I feel I know, bad because our show is it, now it's over, retired. Yeah, if, oh, I, no. I was, I, I did say like if he would have hit us up and be like, "Y'all can't end the show," I would have, I would have kept it going. I'd be like, "Oh, you got the tattoo. <laughs> you, you get another, you get another year out of us." I had picked up a discarded newspaper on the bus, and there was just enough light left on the beach to make out the print. I was all over the front page. The Norris murder case, they were calling it. It was all gaudy tripe about how a dozen assorted characters claimed to have seen me during the day. Most of them conflicted with each other, putting me at spots 20 miles apart at exactly the same time. But there was one story that was true. Mrs. Adele Soria of Shea Adele, the reporter said, claimed that the husband of the deceased, Philip Norris, had called on her shortly before noon. For what reason, the police would not divulge. Mrs. Soria had screamed and probably therefore saved her life, the report intimated, and Norris had fled. She had thereupon called the police and they had the entire area on Sunset Boulevard, known as the Strip, under rigid surveillance and expect an arrest momentarily. Another column stated that the coroner's jury had met and had declared Edna murdered by a person or persons unknown, but from evidence presented by the police, presumably by her husband, Philip Norris. The sons of bitches, I thought, building up the case against me straw by straw, convicting me on prejudice. Sure, if they had caught me now, I wouldn't stand a chance, not with a jury so soaked with newspaper-made hate. Not even with a smart lawyer to weed out all those with previous knowledge of the case. Okay, one of the things I like about Phil is that he often, like, points out, like, legitimate ills in society. But you get the sense that he would not care if it wasn't happening to him. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And he's always on the wrong side of it. It's just like, (laughs) oh, look at all these poor people. Oh, better put them all in prison. Not like, <laughs> oh, why, why is it so hard for people to uh, eat after coming back from the war? He's like, no, all veterans suck. Right. Bye. <laughs> He'll like point out the problem accurately, but then his solutions will be horrible <laughs> or self-centered or something. 
yeah, the house is on fire, but have you considered adding oil? <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't live in a home. Um, I feel like he's the guy in my mentions that's like, not to play devil's oh advocate, gosh, but yes. yes, he definitely <laughs> hate is to a be that guy. guy. Sometimes I send those. I send those to Iffy because it'll be like, it'll be someone that's like, I love being that guy. Like they just like correct you about something. You can tell that they take such pride in it. it um, this is his, yeah, that's his like inner monologue is he's reply guy for sure. Um, oh, yeah. He like, he's the first reply. He's the proto reply guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's the blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it. Been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show. But my listeners wanted to write the ad for me. And here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you will instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. And we're back. Phil is sitting all by himself in Venice Beach, eating three hamburgers as he is wont to do, and reading a newspaper article about how he is wanted for murder. But he's about to have some company. Getting sore all the time, I went on to read a very fine and detailed description of myself when I became aware of somebody standing near me. Even with the sound of the breaking of the sea, I could hear breathing. Without lifting my head, I strained my eyes upward until they arched in their sockets, but the brim of my hat blocked off all view. In the cold, I began to sweat. I bent my head even further down and edged the paper upward, but whoever it was didn't move, just stood there. I tensed, ready to spring, thinking that if I moved suddenly enough, I might get the jump. I might hit him first, before he could make a sound. My right hand went down and into the sand where I remembered seeing a piece of broken bottle. My fingers clenched it. I did it as I had planned. A quick move and I was up. And with my getting up, I butted into the breathing thing near me. My shoulder hit soft flesh and I was on it, grappling it to the sand. My fingers around the mouth to shut off the scream. Then, I knew that something was wrong. The skin was too soft, and I saw a pair of frightened eyes staring at me. It was a woman, an old woman. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Phil, Phil? Phil Norris went Chuck Norris on an old lady. Oh my god. On the beach. It really feels like sometimes when he's talking or thinking, it's just real stream of consciousness. Just I gotta, I gotta be cool, baby. So what am I gonna say to be cool? <laughs> She didn't even struggle, just lay there with her eyes pleading with me. I felt crazy. I felt that I wanted to strangle her. Somehow it seemed that in doing it, I could get rid of all the hurt that was in me. But I didn't. Instead, I let go and stood up. She was shaking with fear. Her lips were moving soundlessly. I hadn't choked her hard enough to hurt her, yet she had no voice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you don't know, Phil, if you if He's you heard her or not. He's already trying to rationalize whatever <laughs> fuck up he just made. Are you all right? I asked. She put her fingers to her lips and rolled her head. Then she looked at me and indicated that she was a mute. There was nothing I could do, so I left her there, sitting on the gray sand, dressed in a man's heavy button sweater and old slacks that covered the toes of her shoes. Who among us has not almost killed an old woman? I mean... I know, you know, it's it's an honest mistake. It wasn't until I began walking up the stairs to the pier that I realized that I was still holding the broken bottle. I dropped it hastily. As I climbed the last step, the wind carried the voice of the argumentative kid to me. He was saying, That's the whole trouble. To me, love is just chemistry. There was an enormous sign over the entrance to the Venice Ballroom, an electric display in many colors that turned music notes on and off and announced in huge letters, 50 beautiful girls, 50. I wish they had used vernacular of that time and been like, 50 beautiful broads. I know. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. He says dames some, but he doesn't say, has he said broads at this point? I haven't heard broad enough. I haven't heard broad enough. But yeah, you're right. It should be dames. Um, yeah, this feels almost in in some ways maybe too modern by the use of girls. Yeah, it should have been a 50 beautiful Jezebels. If it were done today, it'd be like 50 beautiful boss queens. <laughs> <laughs> Empowering. Girl boss. 50 beautiful girl bosses. The tuneless clamor of a band came through the big doors. Inside the lobby, in theatrical photographic frames, the girls themselves were displayed. Their poses were monotonously glamorous, arched backs to project their thinly covered breasts and set come-on smiles that wouldn't have fooled a sex-starved adolescent. Phil believes that every profession is a racket. Yeah, he doesn't take anyone else's job seriously. Anyone else could do it. And, like, down to when a band is playing the tuneless clamor of the band. Like, he he can't like anything. Well, I also want to point out, this man is a bookie. Like, like he doesn't have, like, a respectable, normal job, bro. Like, relax. (laughs) I I hate this guy. I hate him. Thank you. Uh Oh, it is so good to hear you say that. Uh, it's good to hear other people say that it Phil re- Norris It's is really bad. validating, actually. <laughs> We've been d- together alone with this book for so many weeks. And somewhere out there, there is someone who read this book and, like, related with this man and was like, yeah. A yeah. lot of people, probably. 
Like those scenes where he's like telling off his wife at a party and it's just like, yeah, like I wish I could tell off my ex-wife like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Like it's just I like wish I could choke an old her. lady out who's just standing there taking so long on him. coupons. <laughs> just, yeah. I'm just thinking about like who? Well, they're, well, like it's 45, so, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> so at the height of this, but it's probably the people who would have read it and remembered it are like, 90 to 100 years yeah, old. Yeah, they're something. the greatest generation yeah, or something. You, you know. I looked over the collection, trying to fit one with the description Shelley had given me, but they all seemed to match it. Most of them were blondes. I hesitated before I went in. It was a 100 to 1 shot in anybody's book that if I kept running around in public places, somebody would certainly recognize me. I had been lucky until then, and nobody knew better than I that luck could be stretched only so far. After that, it snapped in your face. But I had no other choice. I had to keep on playing red, no matter what the percentage that black would inevitably hit. The inside of the place was big enough to be used as a B-29 hangar. Almost two-thirds of it was taken up by a dance floor, on which about 30 couples were hopping. The band was mounted on a raised dais at the other end of the hall. There were only six musicians, but they made more noise than the LA Symphony batting out the 1812 orchestra. There was nothing subtle about these boys. This is a band who's never listened to music before. Yeah, yeah he hates music. <laughs> a little after seven, the floor started filling up. Two more saxophonists appeared out of nowhere and doubled the volume of the band. Wherever you looked, there were hostesses. The few that weren't blondes were redheads and dark, vivid ones who looked Spanish or Mexican. Yeah, this is a thing where... This is uh, a consistent thing where the authors cannot tell the difference between the colonizer and the colonized. They're just, like, so lazy about it. Like, there are multiple characters who have, like, mistaken Spanish towns for Mexican towns, and (laughs) there are people who you think are Mexican, but they turn out to be Spanish. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. It's super weird. Um, It's just a lot of nonsense racism. You said that there's only two people in there, blonde and redhead. It was blondes, redheads, Okay, there's the blondes, there's the redheads, then there's right. the Mexicans. Yes. Louise, that's, 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 okay. that's Those, his, that's those the, are the that's flavors the pie he chart. has. Yeah. That's his pie chart of, this, of the room. It's very indicative of the time. <laughs> I watched them for a while. They really worked for their money. And all the time I noticed a beefy gatekeeper was taking every chance he got to stare at me. I tried hard to show him only the back of my neck. When the jump was going full swing, I went over to the ticket office and bought a string of 20. I folded them in my hand and went straight for a turnstile. I didn't want Steakface to get too good a look at me. The band was tearing into an incredibly fast number when I approached one of the girls sitting in a line of wooden folding chairs not far from the bandstand. She was young and blonde and pretty, and she looked bored. Dance, I asked. She rose to her feet and automatically put her left arm around my shoulder and her right hand in my palm. I led her out onto the dance floor, slowly, moving once to every four beats of the band. She seemed to be looking at my coat lapel. After a few seconds, I bent down toward her ear. Okay, so I'm going to be doing voices uh, for a bunch of women 
in uh, this dance club, and I'd love suggestions. What would be like a voice I should do for her? Accent or character? Give me a suggestion and I'll give it a shot. Can you do a Texas? A te- like a, yeah, like a Southern, southern Texas. Yeah, she's like a Southern Belle type. Yeah. Let's try that. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you very much. Edna sent me, I said. She looked up at me with blank eyes. What'd you say? She asked. I said, Edna sent me. She shrugged her shoulders. I don't know what you're talking about, mister. You got the wrong number. All right, there's going to be uh, there's going to be another lady soon. Uh, any suggestions for uh, how I should voice her? This one is a New York dame. Like what was like a like Like she's got sort of like a Manhattan night uh, accent. I didn't wait for the number to end, although it was short enough. Instead, I steered her back to the hostess chairs, disengaged myself from her arms and said, "Thanks." I gave my next ticket to another blonde smaller and curved and freckled around the cheeks and nose. We stepped out into another fast number. Again, I danced slowly, cutting the beat down to my own style. This time, I had to bend down to get close to her ear, but I did it. Edna sent me, I said. She did, the babe said. Well, what do you know? Sounds just like Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. That's a... (laughs) Hey, look at see. <laughs> yes, I said. She told me to come here. Well, she told you to come to the right place then, she said. She did? Sure thing, kid. Then you know her? Know who? Edna. She looked up at me for the first time. Look, I ain't no mind reader, she said. I don't know what you're talking about. Right, she's a she's a paid dancer. She's meant to just sort of agree with whatever nonsense. <laughs> he really thinks he's gonna get information on this woman while she's on the clock. I it's so disrespectful. Absolutely. If he would you do this when you went like when we have strip clubs again, would you be doing this going around? Uh no, no. I think OnlyFans has uh yeah. has, has taken the place for that. But I I'll try DMing right. and trying to yeah, <laughs> trying to find, you, you know, uh my murdered uh ex spouses. <laughs> Hey, spicy gal, sixty nine. Uh, have you seen? Uh, have you seen any uh, presence on the internet? While you're showing me your feet, I have an interesting request for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seems that my wife's been murdered. I was yeah, wondering yeah, if yeah. you had some more information on it. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever you do, don't stop showing those feet. Uh, you got to keep that going. <laughs> got to keep the feet up. That's great. <laughs> oh, it looks like I've been blocked. <laughs> okay. okay. And the cops are at my house. <laughs> Somehow I was too creepy for OnlyFans. That has got to yeah. be a first. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll be right back. And we're back at the Venice Ballroom with Phil, where he won't stop asking women to dance so he can interrogate them on the dance floor. Oh, Phil. I headed back to the hostess row. The number was just ending as I got there. My third ticket was another blonde who might have been good looking if she had laid off the cream puffs. Uh, Uh, Fucking Phil. Uh, I was gonna say, what does Phil look like? Since we're talking all this smack, he's on the cover, right? Is that? Is, let me, let me, he's like let a me disheveled. Uh, he's sort of like a, he's got like a classic black Irish features. 
Yeah. He's what, like yeah. six feet tall. No muscle, no muscle mass. Yeah. He, yeah, he's got no mass. He's not bulking up. He's skipping leg day every every yeah. time. And has the audacity. <laughs> this is a man who only drinks and smokes and then eats three hamburgers every several days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. how he sustains himself. <laughs> Phil is so pale on the cover of this book. He looks like a ghost. I think you would be <laughs> forgiven for thinking it was a horror story about like a ghost <laughs> like who a dead haunts man. a woman. Dead man who wants a woman. <laughs> There's gonna be another lady. Any more suggestions for how I could uh, how I could uh, portray this lady? One of those girls that tries to sound like a baby all the time. Ooh, sexy Ooh, baby voice. Sexy yeah. baby girl. Okay, great. Let's try it. I love it. It was a slower dance this time, but I danced even slower than before. When I whispered, Edna sent me into her ear. She looked at me and said, You sure you ain't got me mixed up with two other girls? Why? I asked. My name's Evelyn. No soap again. I got rid of Evelyn fast and found myself another of the beautiful 50. Oh my god. <laughs> Is he gonna go through every one of these 50 women? It's He's gonna do whatever it takes. When is he gonna get kicked out of this place? That is a that is a smart and good question. <laughs> Shelley could have been wrong about the height. I never met a woman yet who could tell height accurately. I'm a good six feet with a little to spare, but I've met them when they're out sealing me and then said that they were five six or so. And how can you trust a woman when she tells you that another woman has big hips? All females are experts in comparative anatomy. Danny, you you are uh, quite an advocate for body and size positivity as well as mental health. How do you, how do you feel about this assessment? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I do want to say is actually a lot of us know each other's heights. Yes, I feel like that's a very right. I am five four. And I can tell another 5'4 person. I can also tell if you're 5'6, if you're just a little taller than me. 5'4 is also the average height. Um, anyways, so yeah. <laughs> actually women are pretty good at telling each other's height. And also we're pretty good when men say that they're over six feet and they're yes. not. Which I imagine is Phil, who's writing this. So <laughs> Oh yeah, he's definitely a clear 5'8. 5'8 energy is reaping, just dripping from this man. <laughs> So the next one was taller, but she was no more responsive than the others. After a while, I had to go buy another batch of tickets. I was getting sick of blondes and beginning to think they must be an exclusive Southern California type, as numerous among us as black-haired, dark-eyed ones in Southern Italy or Spain. I was in the middle of my second batch of tickets and feeling hopeless about it all. I'd exhausted all the blondes with faded faces and was going after anyone in the hall who wore a skirt. Oh my god. This is so rough yeah. to hear. Like the way he's just sort of scrolling through yeah. <laughs> the feed in IRL. How gross is that experience of just seeing someone yeah. who looks like Phil yeah. sizing you up? I wasn't jumpy anymore. I had a kind of bravado with me that was beginning to make me feel invulnerable, as if nobody could touch me. And although people talked to me and noticed my presence, I had a crazy feeling that I was invisible, that I wasn't really where I was at all. 
For the 30th odd time, I handed over one of my tickets to a girl, a wispy looking kid with big eyes and a blonde trilby hairdo. Okay, this is the last girl. Last girl. Okay. How do we want last girl? I think, you know, a, you know, no-nonsense, assertive boss, boss bitch. A boss bitch. Okay, okay great. Great, great. She looked as if she should have been at home doing her algebra lessons. After some of the big dames I danced with, she felt like a feather. We moved slowly out to the floor. Almost automatically, I leaned down toward her ear, but she beat me to it. I know. She said, Edna sent you. I dropped dead in the middle of the floor. You know Edna? I said. No, she answered with a laugh. <laughs> but all the girls are talking about it. Um. <laughs> I called it. Yep. Yeah, of course yep. they would all be like, watch out for that fucko. <laughs> oh my gosh. He's dancing with everyone and asking for Edna. Who's this Edna guy? <laughs> I looked towards the row of folding chairs and the few girls who were dancing were leaning towards each other in the classic gossip pose. The girl tugged at me. Let's dance, she said. We started up again for a while. Trilby didn't say anything. At last she spoke again. What do you want to know for? She looked suspicious. You ain't a copper. Do I look like one? She laughed. (laughs) There's one girl, she said. Yes? But she doesn't work here anymore. Drops in once in a while and does a shift, but that's all. She's not a regular. What's her name? Trilby went on as if she hadn't heard me. I remember she used to talk about some girl, a rich bitch if you'll pardon the expression. I think her name was Edna, but I don't know. It could have been Elsie or Mary or something else. I don't know if it's the one you're referring to. What's her name? Trilby saw what my face looked like. Dear God, I was praying. Make this the one. Make this the end. Make this what I'm looking for. Muriel, Trilby said. Muriel! Yes, Muriel Loss. Where can I find her? I couldn't keep the excitement out of thy voice. The reason he's super excited, as Amanda, you'll recall, is that uh, Muriel's name was written in Edna's appointment book, but he had no clue who Muriel was. It was just the name Muriel. But while the other ones had like addresses next to him that he could go to, this one, it just said Muriel at like four o'clock or whatever. So it was just a mystery. Where can I find her? I couldn't keep the excitement out of my voice. The girl struggled in my arms. Hey, you're hurting me, she said. We had stopped dancing. And when she said that, I realized that my fingers had been digging into her arm. Oh, my God. Yeah, he is violent. He's just a horrible, uncontrolled violence of this guy. I can't believe I didn't notice, but I was violently (laughs) shaking her the whole time. No wonder she was acting so erratic. Are we sure he didn't murder his wife? (laughs) Exactly. Maybe he doesn't know. Like, maybe it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation, and he doesn't know that he murdered his wife. At this moment... That is the most logical conclusion (laughs) right now. Because the only other two characters have alibis. He says to Shelly, I think it was the last chapter where he said to Shelly, there's a thingamabob inside me that makes me want to hurt people. And it's like, yeah, that's hurt people, even the people I love. 
And it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what a murderer would say. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, Dan, I think you're 100% right. This could very well be like a fight club situation for sure. Um, and the only reason I don't think it is is because that's very clever. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I would be too clever of a literary. <laughs> For this book, I feel like if this book employed that device, people would have remembered it, especially in 1945. I feel like that would have been like a revolutionary plot twist. So I, I, I'm guessing no, but on the other hand, I hope yes, because it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's what, yeah, it's what we all want. It's the people's choice. I'm sorry, I said, and dragged her off the dance floor toward a table. The musicians kept pumping away, and the floor was too crowded. It made it hard to talk. Look, mister, Trilby protested. I'm hired to dance. Please sit down. But anybody can come up here, and I'll have to dance with him. I pressed my remaining tickets into her hand. She counted them. There were nine. Okay, she said. You've got nine minutes. Where can I find Muriel? I asked. I noticed that Steakface was talking to somebody who might have been the manager or the bouncer. He gestured in my direction. The other man stood there, cleaning his ear with his little finger and looking at me with interest. <laughs> Please kick him out. Yeah, or or throw him in jail. You know, call the, <laughs> call the cops. You know, this is somebody who is obviously very suspicious, who is talking about Edna. The name of a woman in a murder case, it's just crazy. It's just, it's crazy. Just generally ruin the vibe of the club, honestly. Yeah, that's that might be the worst crime is to go to like a really hop-in dance club and just like tank it. Tank the vibe for everyone. <laughs> Where can I find Muriel? I repeated. Trilby watched the seconds tick off the huge clock that hung on the wall near us. I don't know, she said. Try to remember, I pleaded. Try to remember where she lives. I never knew where she lived. We're not exactly intimate, you know? Who knows her, I said. Maybe you can tell me somebody who knows her and I can trace her through them. Wait a minute, she said, her face wrinkled in concentration. I remember, she used to hang out at the tropical jungle. She saw the blank look on my face. You've never been out here before? She asked. Sure, I've been here, I said, but I don't remember any tropical jungle. It's two blocks off the pier, on Ocean Avenue, a bar and grill. Bamboo decorations, bamboo lamps, bamboo seats, everything bamboo, including the chow. Thanks, I said, getting up. I wish I had more tickets to give you. Don't mention it, she said, but you better be careful. I stopped short. What do you mean? I mean Muriel, she said, if you find her. She's no good for men, if you know what I mean. I grinned at her. Thanks, I said. Sure, I know. She leaned back in her chair. And if you don't find her, she said, come back here later. I will, baby. I sure will, I said, and went off on a broken field run across the dance floor through the turnstiles. As I was going for the entrance, I noticed that Steakface and the manager were talking to Trilby and that she was showing them the tickets I had given her. And that's where we're going to leave off. Oh my God. In Murder in the Glass Room by Edward Rolfe. 
and Lester Fuller. <laughs> so guess, what, uh, what did you think? Overall thoughts? I feel like this book was exactly what I expected it to be, which was just this dated, like, hyper male fantasy of just rollicking about the city, judging everything, and just uh, uh, being around lots of women who he's better than for some reason. <laughs> yes, he's decided he's better than everybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they won't date me, because I'm better than all of them. Yeah, they must be too scared, intimidated by my greatness. Um, I one, I didn't know they said bitch back then, so that was I was like, oh, wow, curse oh, yeah. words. This is like leave it to be. This is like yeah, pre cussing, leave cussing. it to Beaver. The Bebop. Oh yeah, they are cussing. Yeah, damn. Also, the girl was like fifteen in the end. He was like, I thought she should be home doing her algebra, and then she was like, come back. And he was yeah. like, I will, baby. That was problematic <laughs> as hell. I was going to say I am curious to who did it. I do think it is him in his sleep. Or he had a fit of rage that he um, can't come to terms with, so he's buried it so deep inside himself so that he can live Or his live wife committed suicide because she was married to him. <laughs> I mean, possibly. How did she die? Okay, he goes to Edna's home, which used to be their shared home. Uh, he finds her body laying there. Yeah, the blood was already kind of, like, cold, and there was a, um, like, the cuticle cutter thing from, like, a hand set, like, from a manicure set, um, was, like, had been used to slit her throat, I believe. Yeah. It's really gross. Yeah. Yeah. Super gross. Both of your takes, uh, did it himself, or she committed suicide, both legitimately could be the case oh, at this absolutely. point. Uh, well, listen, uh, Iffy, Danny, I want to thank you both for coming Ooh. on and joining us today. Yes. Yes, thank you for sharing the madness with us. Now you know a little bit too much about yeah. a character from a bad book. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. If uh, if they want to join your madness, if they want to uh, dive into your <laughs> oh, nice individual worlds, uh, how could they follow you? How could our listeners Ooh. find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at IffyWaddyWay and IfDs on Twitch. And that's how you'll know everything I'm doing always. I'm at Ms. Danny Fernandez. It's M-S-D-A-N-I-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z on Twitter and Instagram. Please follow me so I can get validation as our industry is largely shut down. And who am I going to get it from? From you, <laughs> from you the listener. Please validate Danny. She needs your help at this you time. You could be the one liking that post. Amanda, you'll be joining us next week. Yes, I'm still married to you and we are still doing this podcast together. Still married. Still, yeah, still the going. The only married podcast team as we, it's not true, but we're going to say it. Um, uh, well, Amanda, uh, next week we go to the tropical jungle. We meet Muriel and Phil gets into a bar fight. Oh, great. I'm already like ready for this rumble in the fake jungle. We'll see. That's next time on Dirt Cheap. Dirt Cheap is a Neon Hum podcast. It's hosted by me, Jeffrey Golden. And me, Amanda Meadows. Our producer is Carla Green. 
Associate producer is Chloe Chobel. The executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Editing by Vikram Patel. Original music by Chris Katinas. Additional tracks you hear on this episode are from Epidemic Sound. Our engineer and sound effects guy is Scott Somerville. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Dirt Cheap Pod and Instagram at Dirt Cheap Books. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode for another exciting chapter of Murder in the Glass Room. Murder in the Glass Room.